0: The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 2 verses 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Uh, My name is Justin. If you are new here, I'm the lead pastor at Sacred City Church, and it's my joy to welcome you to worship this morning. At this moment, we are obviously not able to gather together in our normal worship gatherings. We have two each Sunday in Davenport and one at Sacred City Moline. Uh, Because of the threat of the coronavirus, we are practicing social distancing in hopes of slowing its spread and not Crashing our healthcare system and providers, so this sermon is a little unique in that regard. That each week, it's my joy to preach the word of God to you in person. I get to see your faces, I get to hear your responses, and sense what's going on in your spirit. Uh, most weeks, you bring things out of me that weren't in my notes, and I credit that to the spirit of God that unites us all in Christ. This week, I am preaching to an almost empty room, uh, but still hope to speak prophetically through the power of the Spirit. Uh, Would you pause now and pray with me that God would still use this sermon, even though we are not together. Father, we thank you for the ability here to, to gather together virtually, to still be united, hopefully, in thought, that the word of God will direct our minds and would direct our hearts towards you. I pray that you would think through my mind and you would speak through my vocal cords that it would be all of you and none of me. I pray that your people would hear your voice, whether they're sitting in their living room, whether they're laying in their bed, um, maybe they're listening to you uh, while they're driving their car or wherever they're at, that they would hear the spirit of the living God speaking to them and you would bring comfort and truth to their soul. Would you work a miracle among us, Father? Would you speak to your people for your glory and our good? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I can't help but comment right away. So you've heard the reading of the scripture this morning, and we are in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and open that up with me. And I can't help but comment right away on the surprising providence of today's text. Remember, this text was chosen and scheduled almost a year ago. And in our text today, Paul is bemoaning the fact that he has not seen the Colossians face to face. In verse 5, he says, Though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. See, Paul would have live streamed his sermon from his prison cell if he could have. So I echo his words this morning and I say, Absent in body, but we are present in spirit. Listen, let's just take a second to thank God for the technology that we have and we get to use this morning. See, Paul used the technology of his day to communicate the gospel to these people that he was separated from. He wrote a letter, a hand-delivered letter we get internet-streamed HD video right to our living room. Though we can't be together face-to-face right now in person, we can be face-to-face through our, the cameras on our phones, our tablets, our computers, wherever you are, and that is a gift of grace to us. So I pray that that might encourage you this morning. Now let's dig into our text and see what the Lord would have for us. It's interesting. I feel like our text this morning is giving us a step-by-step playbook for how we should respond during this season as a church. Paul's going to show us how he pastored people to Jesus, even though he couldn't be with them in person. So from this text, we're going to see three things. We're going to see a shepherd's heart for people. We're going to see a shepherd's warning in the midst of danger. And we're going to see a shepherd's joy in the midst of social distance. Kids, if you've got your little printout that we've made available for you, those are my three main points. So number one, we're going to look at a shepherd's heart for people. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, And for all who have not seen me face to face. See, here right away, we see that Paul loves his people. Even though he's never personally met them, he loves them. His heart is a shepherd's heart. His heart cares for the people that he is responsible for. His heart cares for his sheep. It's concerned about the well-being of God's sheep. See, everything Paul has done in his ministry, he has done because he cares about people. People that he's met face to face, people that he's only heard about, that have been ministered to through Epaphras, right? Everything he's done, he's doing because he cares for people. That word struggle that we see in our text, it's the same word we talked about last week. It's the second time he's used it now in these last few verses. It's the Greek word agona, and it's where we get our word agony, or agonize from. It's a word that was used in Olympic athletic competitions like wrestling, where two people were struggling and fighting with one another and in the midst of great pain. Paul says one of the ways that you can see his love, you can see his heart for people, is his willingness to suffer to get the gospel to believers. Church. Do you know that you have elders like this? Do you know that you have pastors like this? Your pastors love you like this, that they are struggling to get the word of God to you. That we are praying for you. We are agonizing over you even now, trying to figure out how best to shepherd people that we can't be face to face with. We're trying to figure out how can we love you and get the Word of God to you as often and as effectively as we can. So, obviously, in a pretty awkward way right now, I am in a room that's mostly empty, preaching the gospel to you, trying to go on like normal and deliver you the Word of God because I love you. And we've got elders going live on Facebook every day at 7 a.m., 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. in hopes that they can bring some sanity and a non-anxious presence into your Facebook feed and into your soul as you navigate the complexities of this season. Right? It's concerning right now. Some of us deal with mental health issues and we're struggling with de- depression and anxiety. And one of the worst things for us is for us to be alone, alone with our thoughts or alone with social media. And so the pastors are agonizing over how can we get the gospel to these folks. And we think um, Facebook Live might be one of the best ways that we can do that for you right now. See, our hope is the same hope that the Apostle Paul had as he's sitting either in prison or under house arrest, and he's agonizing over these people that he can't see and he can't go out and reach and minister to and hear their questions and answer their questions. He's agonizing over what can I do for these people, and he wants them to be encouraged in the midst of the season. Look at verse two. He says, That their hearts may be encouraged. That's what Paul wants for his people. That's what we want for our people. That word encourage, it literally means to be filled with courage. It doesn't mean just to feel better, right? To turn that frown upside down and smile more. No, it means to be filled with courage in the midst of a situation that is scary, right? Listen, it is okay to be worried right now. It's okay to be worried. That worry is meant to drive us into God in prayer. So take your anxiety, take your fear, take your worry, bring it to God in prayer. We're trying to kind of teach you how to do this every day as we read a psalm and as we pray through it. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to teach you to take your worry to God in prayer. It's not saying, don't be worried. Right? He's not saying that, that all fear is from the devil or or, back. No, no, no. Let that fear, let that worry drive you to God and then take courage in the midst of it. See, we can be afraid, we can be anxious, but then we take it to the Lord in prayer. But it's a sin to despair in a season like this. It's a sin to give in, to act like God is out of control. It's a sin to hand all of our soul over to the world and say, you tell me how I should feel right now. No, no, we go to our shepherd, we go to our God and we find our comfort there. So we don't give in to despair. Jesus is still the one on the throne. Don't be ruled by anxiety. Jesus has conquered death, hell and the grave And a virus is nothing compared to what he's already defeated. A virus cannot stop Jesus building his church. A virus cannot stop Jesus renewing and restoring all of creation and delivering his people perfect and complete, fully mature into the new heavens and the new earth. So as you find courage this morning in Jesus, let that courage do what it's meant to do. Let that courage cause us to worship God and let that courage, look, look what Paul says here, let it drive us into the Father and into the Son and into the Spirit, but also into one another. He says this, let that courage knit us together in love. Look at chapter two, verse two, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, being knit together in love. Paul is saying there's something about Jesus-centered courage that unites them. Now, I don't know anything about knitting, but I do know somehow things are being knit together and they're being woven together and they become stronger as they get woven together. They become more comforting as they get woven together. There's something that that individual string can't do, but when you knit it together, it can make a blanket, right? Or it can make clothing, or it can make whatever it is. And Paul's saying this Jesus-centered courage in the midst of uncomfortable circumstances, let it unite them together as a church in love. See, this virus cannot stop us from loving one another. This virus cannot stop us from checking in via text or via phone call or via FaceTime or via Google Hangout or Zoom and still meeting each other's needs. And we do that as the church of Jesus Christ in hopes that everyone would learn the truth about Jesus. They would see us comforting one another and they would say, "What's going on there?" And look 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 how Paul says it here in verse 2. He continues. He says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all of the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's <clears throat> mystery, <clears throat> which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, that is a whole long, that's a big sentence. That's a Pauline sentence. He just piles terms on top of each other. It's very clunky when you read it word for word from the Greek translations like like we are in in the ESV. But he's, let me simplify it and say it like this. Paul is is saying that we are to come to know, in the the simplest form I can say it, that Jesus holds all the answers. Paul uses the word riches here to describe what is found in Jesus, okay? Think of it like this. Jesus is a treasure chest, okay? And when you find Jesus and you open up that treasure chest, you are going to find some things in Him. He's going to possess some things. He's going to hold some things. And Paul uses several words here, and listen, they're not exhaustive, okay? I could go on and on about all of the riches that you can find in Christ, but Paul uses a few descriptive words here. He says this, that in Christ you can find full assurance of understanding. You can find knowledge of God's mystery. You can find wisdom and knowledge. Now, that's a lot, lots of, of terms here. But it seems like what Paul is doing is he's drawing upon Proverbs chapter 8. And in Proverbs chapter 8, if you've got your Bible, you can go there as well. This is um, a father teaching his son the ways of the world and the ways of wisdom as opposed to foolishness. And what he does in Proverbs chapter 8 is he personifies wisdom. So he, he paints a picture of wisdom being a person, not just a principle, right? But an actual person. And he uses the same words that Paul uses here to describe Jesus. So it seems like Paul is actually drawing on the wisdom passes of of, of Proverbs chapter 8 to describe Jesus. So hey, we got time, and so let's just go there this morning. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 8, verses 12, and we'll probably just go through and finish the chapter. Here's what the writer of Proverbs says. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance are the way of evil. And perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. So he's saying wisdom is what holds the world together. Keep going. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, and filling their treasuries. See all these words? The Lord... Possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. So now he's saying, at the beginning of all things, before creation, that God possessed wisdom. Now, God is the source of all wisdom, but in this situation, it's the personification of wisdom. And I think Paul is specifically saying, that's Jesus. Jesus is that wisdom. Keep reading. Ages ago, I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths. I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Jesus, preeminent one. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight. See, that sounds Trinitarian, doesn't it? The Father delighting in the Son, Jesus, the personification of wisdom, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Here it is, verse 35 and 36. For whoever finds me, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me, injures himself. And all who hate me, love love death. See, Jesus here is the personification of wisdom. He is like a treasure chest that in Him you find everything your soul needs. To summarize, whoever finds Jesus finds life. Whoever finds Jesus obtains favor from the Lord. Whoever doesn't find Jesus injures himself and all who hate Jesus love death. Now one thing I think the Apostle Paul is trying to say here is that Jesus possesses all truth. And most specifically this morning, He possesses all spiritual truth. See, what your soul needs, what your spirit needs, is spiritual truth. And you don't have to look anywhere else except to Jesus. And so in the midst of this difficult season, we see a shepherd's heart for his people, right? And we're going to hear, secondly, a shepherd's warning in the midst of danger. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Okay, the Apostle Paul, he's separated from them with some distance, and He's showing them his heart, that he he wants them to know Christ. He wants them to find their fullness in Christ. He wants them to find all the spiritual riches that they need. He wants them to find him in Christ. But he recognizes he needs to give them a warning. See, here's the danger. The world is full of people who want to deceive you into believing that there's spiritual truth in the world outside of Christ. See, some of these people are brilliant talkers. They know how to form plausible arguments. They can turn a phrase. They can put together some good-sounding arguments that can confuse you and trick you into believing that maybe Jesus isn't the only thing we need to know for certain. Maybe He's not the treasure chest that has all the wisdom that we need in it. Paul calls these plausible arguments or persuasive arguments. Speech. See, Paul, as a shepherd, is telling his people, Jesus. in the words of Jesus, he's saying this, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to God through any other means. So Paul's saying, you know Jesus, so you know the way. You know Jesus, so you know the truth. You know Jesus, so you know life. Do not let anyone in the world discourage you, confuse you, or delude you. That word delude means to deceive. Don't let anyone take your courage away from you. Don't let anyone take your confidence and the full assurance that you have in Jesus. Now, some say right now, like people are saying things like this. If God is good... And God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. He's in control of everything that's going on in the universe. Well, then how could the coronavirus even exist? If God is good, He wouldn't want the coronavirus to kill anyone. And if God is in control, He wouldn't allow the coronavirus to kill anyone. Now, this is a real question. And it's an honest objection It's an objection to faith that many people pose. But its most simple answer comes once again when you open up the treasure chest of Jesus and you get inside there and you see the wisdom of Jesus. See, sometimes we can get really confused. There's all kind of objections to our faith. You could say there's some scientific ones, there's philosophical ones, that people have all kind of different objections. And we can get really Confused and think, okay, how how do how I'm going to have to study science to be able to answer this, or I'm going to have to study philosophy to be answered this? And there's answers in science, and there's answers in philosophy, and all of those things are good. But here's what you really need to know: when you, when it comes, I, I, this is my job is studying the objections and looking at the objections honestly, and bring the truth to bear. And I've studied some of the mo, the most. Real and difficult objections in all of Christianity. And when you study them, you realize that 99 out of 100 of these objections can be answered by just opening up the treasure chest of Jesus and looking inside it and, and, and delving its riches. The, the, these, these answers can almost always go back to, I don't have to learn more science, I just have to actually look at Jesus for this answer. And let me show you. What I mean by that, this question here, how can a good and sovereign God allow the coronavirus to exist? Either he's not good or he's not sovereign. Well, when we look at Jesus, if there was ever a time in human history to say, how could God allow an innocent person to suffer and die? It was on the cross. But then ask yourself, but who was on that cross? See, Jesus Was God in the flesh was on that cross and that shows us God in his sovereignty and his holiness and his perfection even suffers that God himself is a God that has scars so on the cross God was willing to suffer and die and yet he was still sovereign he was still in complete control And we, of course, know now on the other side of the cross that out of that suffering came salvation life for anyone who would trust Jesus for salvation. So when we look at Jesus, we see that suffering and death and the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God are not at odds with each other. They feel like they're at odds with each other sometimes, but our feelings aren't always correct. Now listen, I don't know why God is allowing this virus to impact us the way it is. I've got my opinions. Maybe He's trying to get our attention. Maybe He's awakening us to our mortality so that we would turn to Him. Maybe He's slowing us down so we can connect with those whom we love in our own homes. Maybe he's taking away every excuse we have for not spending time in prayer or in his word. Maybe he's strengthening a weak and malnourished church to prepare us for a worldwide renewal. Maybe the church is like a washed up Rocky Balboa and he needs to have a new challenge in front of him to go off somewhere and to, and to get back into fighting shape once again to make an impact. I don't know for sure what He's doing, but I choose to trust Him because at the cross of Jesus, I see light break through the darkest day in human history and that gives me confidence now when things seem to be getting dark and I don't know what's going to happen. So I pray that we would find joy and that we would be prepared in this difficult season that we're going through. But you know what? This isn't all preparation. There's something special here that we see from Paul. And we see that even in the midst of this uh, social distancing that Paul's experiencing, that he's away and he can't be present with them, we still see a shepherd's joy in the midst of it. Look at verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. For though I am absent in body yet I am with you in spirit. Look, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, here's what this is so interesting. Nothing makes a pastor's heart rejoice more than seeing his people remain firm in the faith and steadfast under pressure. See, Paul says, Remember, he's either in house arrest or he's in jail right now. He's saying, I've heard from Epaphras that you are actually still in good order and that you're remaining firm in the faith. Now, that's like a five-star Yelp review of this church, okay? Nobody's gone AWOL here. Nobody's gone back to the way they used to live. Nobody's thrown up their hands in despair and given up the faith. Nobody's dropped out because they got a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend and they're not really interested in Jesus anymore. No, they're still meeting together as often as they can. They're doing what they can do, taking care of one another, loving one another. They're reading and studying the scriptures. They're listening to the preaching of God's word. They're repenting of their sin and giving financially and taking care of one another even without Paul's face-to-face ministry. And what joy... To Paul's heart, Paul says, I'm in jail, but I'm, in, I'm rejoicing because I'm hearing that you're steadfast in the faith. I'm hearing that you're still in good order. Now, I got to be honest, that's where I'm at right now. See, church, I want you to know how, how much of a joy you've been to me. I've heard of your love and care for one another. I've heard and seen you coming together in creative ways to encourage one another offering to get groceries for the elderly and the sick and those that can't get out of the house to provide childcare and necessities for one another. Now, this does my pastor's heart good. It shows that the gospel ministry we have here at Sacred City has taken root and is growing and flourishing in our city by the grace of God. In a lot of ways, We have been training for eight years to be the church of Jesus in this moment. All the frills of church have been stripped away. All the nice, but non-essentials have been taken from us. We can't sip our Dunn Brothers coffee in our nice padded seats, listening to awesome music from a stage filled with brightly colored banners while being encouraged by the face-to-face presence of a room full of people. All of that's been taken from us. And let me tell you, it, it's it, it's difficult. Like I miss all of those things. But guess what? We still have the same Jesus the Apostle Paul had. We still have the same spirit of the living God that the Colossians had. We still have the same message of the same gospel of the same Jesus by the same spirit, the same gospel that saves us, the same gospel that makes us more and more and more into the image of Jesus and that same gospel that sends us out to be beacons of light in our city. Now the light, in one sense, the light was made for the darkness. The light was made to light up the darkness. So church, we've been made for such a time as this. So what should we do? Well, it's very simple. Look what they did. We should, one, keep the faith. Keep the faith. The world is broken. The world groans under the presence of sin, the book of Romans tells us pestilence and plagues and viruses and all the stuff that can affect us and that can kill us and that can, can, can cause fear in us has been going on since the fall of Adam. Nothing new. This is why the world needs restored. This is why the world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's keep the faith. The same Jesus that saves us, that same Jesus is going to renew and restore all things when He comes back again. Keep the faith. And right now in the midst of dark times, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let the church shine bright in this season. Secondly, we should maintain good order. That's what he says. Keep the faith, maintain good order. What does that mean, maintain good order? That means this the same thing we've always been about is what we're going to be about now. Gospel, community, mission. Now, is that going to look differently? Absolutely, it's going to look differently. One, Romans 13 says we need, to be, we need to obey the authorities and the governing authorities that God's placed over us, that God has done this. So when they tell us not to gather, we're not going to gather. When they tell us to hunker down in our homes, we're going to hunker down in our homes. But we're still going to believe the gospel. We're still going to participate in community in some way. And we're going to still live as missionaries however we can. So right now, that might look like maximizing the tools that God's given us Any face-to-face, FaceTime, Google Hangout, whatever we can do. So still gather as your missional community in a digital way if you can. Check in with one another. Those that are socially isolated, single people, elderly, call them, FaceTime them, get a face-to-face interaction with them, let them know that you're praying for them. Don't just say you're praying for them, pray for them on the phone. Share the Word of God with them on the phone. Bring encouragement to them right now as they feel alone and maybe anxiety and depression is gripping their soul like never before. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep the faith. We're going to keep doing this on Sunday mornings, gathering in our living rooms, probably reading our liturgy. I'm going to preach in this awkward way, right? Until we can gather together again. And we're going to live as the church and we're going to figure out what it, what it means to be the church in this digital age right now. So that's what, it, that's what it means, church. That's what it means. And the church has been a fluid, responsive organization from its beginning. We have responded to plagues. We have responded to um, governments that said we couldn't gather together. We've responded and we, ha- we are still here. 2,000 years later after, after Jesus left us, we're still here and we're still thriving because the gospel of Jesus Christ is real. And our God, is real, So I pray that you would find encouragement this morning looking at Paul's heart for his people, his warning, don't, you don't need anything outside of Jesus, and his joy in finding his people, keeping the faith in good order. Let me pray for us. Father, first off, we just want to say that there, there is no riches, there is no wisdom, there is no spiritual truth found outside of Jesus Christ. And so for any of us who haven't found, we haven't opened the box, we haven't explored Jesus, I pray that we would turn from other ways and we would seek you out now. We would read the gospel. We would use this time alone to find out who Jesus was, what Jesus taught, what this gospel is. And Father, you would save us. You would enlighten us. You would open up our souls and you would dwell in us. And Father, for those of us who already know you and we've already placed our faith in you, we've already opened up the treasure box of Jesus Christ, I pray pray that we would get in there and plunder the riches, that we would learn more of you, that we would find you more caring than we ever thought possible, more powerful than we ever knew, that you would strengthen our souls, you would speak a good word into our anxious and fearful hearts, you would part the clouds and bring the sunlight, that you would bring the disinfecting rays of the sunlight into our soul, and we would find you better than we ever thought possible. And Father, would you help us be light in the midst of a dark, dark season? Would we be be bringers of hope and bringers of light to our city. Would you show us what it means to be the church in this time? Help us care for one another, help us love one another, and help us reach out to our city. And we're doing this not for our own glory, but for the glory of Jesus Christ, the one who's sitting in the control room of the universe, the preeminent one who's above all, in all, through all, and for all. And so we thank you for this season where you can strengthen our hearts in faith, and that you can use us for your purpose and your glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.